My name is Simon Carver and welcome to Dagnall Street Baptist Church's podcast service for Sunday the 24th of April. Our on-site service at 10.30 today is an all-age messy church and all are very welcome. Our beginning and ending songs today are very different in their genre. We start with a dance song by Fatboy Slim and end with a piece of traditional Americana by Roger Miller. 
Just one notice today, which is that our church magazine for May is now available. And now our call to worship. Some verses from Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy. Because he bends down to listen, I will pray as long as I have breath. Death wrapped its ropes around me. The terrors of the grave overtook me. I saw only trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Please, Lord, save me. What can I offer the Lord for all he has done for me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and praise the Lord's name for saving me. I will keep my promises to the Lord in the presence of all his people. The Lord cares deeply when his loved ones die. O Lord, I am your servant. Yes, I am your servant, born into your household. You have freed me from my chains. I will offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the house of the Lord, in the heart of Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. mysteries of life, God meets us. In the trying to make sense of what we don't understand, God meets us. In the sadness of our grief, God meets us. In the listening to his words, God meets us. In the sharing of bread and wine, God meets us. In the joy and the laughter, 
God meets us. Come, let us worship God who meets us where we are. Come, let us worship Jesus who knows and understands us. Come, let us worship the Spirit who helps us in our need. In the wonder, the beauty, the richness of the world you've made, we often miss seeing your glory, Creator God. We praise and thank you that you always see us. In the mystery and beauty of a newborn child, in the extraordinary complexities of the human body and soul, we often miss seeing your glory, Creator God. We praise and thank you that you always see us. In the sacrificial giving of a son, loved more than we can ever know or understand, we often miss seeing your glory, saving God. We praise and thank you that you always see us. In your coming to us, in the meeting of our needs, when sadness or loneliness threaten to overwhelm our very being, we often miss seeing your glory, comforting God. We praise and thank you that you always see us. In the meeting with other people, in the being with a friend, in the sharing of a meal, in the listening to someone in need, we often miss seeing your glory, loving God. We praise and thank you that you always see us. As we make journeys along the road of life, some joyous, others with a heavy heart, you walk with us, loving God. We praise and thank you that you always see us. Amen. A reading from the Gospel according to Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 13. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. What things? Jesus asked. The things that have happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who'd come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they'd seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, Stay the night with us, since it's getting late. 
So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognised him. And at that moment he disappeared. They said to each other, Didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour they were on their way back to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven disciples and the others who'd gathered with them, who said, The Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they'd recognised him as he was breaking the bread. In the 40 days between Easter and the Ascension, Jesus appeared to his disciples on a number of occasions. We read in the Gospel stories that Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene when she had gone quietly to the garden tomb. He appeared in a room where the disciples were hiding out. He appeared in Galilee when the fishermen had returned to their old occupation. One of the strangest of the meetings that Jesus had with his followers was with two people about whom we know nothing. It's a familiar story of two companions on the Sunday after Jesus died walking sadly away from Jerusalem towards their home in a village a few miles away. They were disciples of Jesus, perhaps husband and wife, and they'd seen their dream of a new world crushed as the life emptied from Jesus on a Roman cross. They had hoped for a world in which good would overcome evil, but the power of evil had been all too evident as Jesus and their dreams died on Friday. Two days later, the Passover having ended, they were going home to pick up the pieces, and then they met a stranger. The man spoke to them about what God had done, what he was doing, and what he had still to do. He spoke of the Messiah, not using proof texts like the rabbis they'd heard. Instead, he showed them that all the scriptures pointed to the destiny of God's Messiah. They had been expecting God to send someone who would fulfil the hopes of Jewish nationalism. He showed them that while what we call the Old Testament doesn't speak of a suffering, dying Messiah, it does speak of Israel's part in God's purposes coming through the suffering of the nation. The Old Testament tells the story of God's calling Israel and about her destiny to be a light for all the nations, to know that her God is the God of all people. The stranger showed these sad disciples that the Messiah, as King of Israel, embodied in himself the vocation and destiny of the nation, and that, as the people must suffer, so this was his destiny too. Sometimes Israel's suffering comes about through the tyranny of pagan empires. At other times, it is as a result of their own sin. And then Isaiah describes the suffering of the nation, God's servant, as a vicarious act on behalf of the world for the purpose of bringing about God's salvation. Overarching all these situations over the course of Israel's history is the Exodus, the time when God freed his people from slavery in Egypt. The Exodus, celebrated annually by Jews for thousands of years, is the festival that had been celebrated that very weekend. The stranger brought all this to life as he showed how the Passover was central to how God dealt with sin and brought about salvation. Now, here and finally, he had dealt with sin with the blood, not of a lamb, but with the blood of the Messiah. 
The Lamb of God is Jesus, God's only Son. And so the cross is not a source of dejection, but the central plank in God's plan of redemption. When they arrived at their home, the two disciples pressed the stranger to stay with them overnight, as it's getting too dark. They invited him to eat with them, and as they reclined together for their meal, it was the stranger who took on the role of host and broke the bread and shared it with them. It was in this action, in his blessing and breaking the bread, that they recognised the stranger as Jesus, their crucified friend. But also they now saw that when he spoke about the redemptive suffering of the Messiah, he was speaking about himself. The church has generally used this story to show how the scripture needs to be interpreted, but more importantly, how Jesus is known in the breaking of bread at the Lord's Supper. That's celebrated daily, weekly, monthly or infrequently in churches of all traditions through time and around the world. Yet I think that we could question the way that this story has been used. In the passage that we read, Luke doesn't tell us the reaction of the disciples when they hear what the stranger has said to them. We know for sure that they were not aware that the stranger was Jesus, even after he'd told them how it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and die for the sins of the world. So if the stranger wasn't recognised as Jesus when he opened the scriptures, which showed that the Messiah was destined to suffer for the sins of the world, then when did they recognise him? They recognised him when he broke bread. Was this an echo for these disciples of the Last Supper? This might be so for the church, as we remind ourselves whenever we celebrate the Lord's Supper, that we do what Jesus did when he broke bread, and we remember how he comes to us now in bread and wine. But what about for these disciples? It's unlikely that they would have had this same flash of recognition, as, to the best of our knowledge, they were not there on the night before Jesus died. If there was a remembrance of something Jesus had done in the past, who is to say that it was not on one of the many occasions he ate a meal with his friends, when nothing remarkable happened? Perhaps when the stranger broke bread, they saw Jesus in an unremarkable event, an event of everyday life. So how do we walk the road to Emmaus? There's no doubt that the story directs us to the church where we may encounter Jesus in the word and the sacraments but not to the church that's equated with the institution and Sunday worship. We're directed instead to the church that meets a very ordinary world, a world marked by human loss and human hospitality. We never hear of Cleopas again after this passage, and we never learn the name of his companion. They're not important people. They're ordinary people who've had the grand adventure of following Jesus and his disciples. But now that's over and they're walking back home. With Jesus' death, they've lost their faith and their hope. They're not looking for him. In fact, they don't even recognise him when he joins them. Yet he chooses this place of loss to meet them. When he asks about their sorrow, they're so absorbed in that grief that they can't believe that this person doesn't know about their experience. They tell Jesus the story of his own ministry and death and add the dubious news of his resurrection. For them, the story's over. Their hopes have proven empty, and they're defeated. But then Jesus tells the story back to them, this time through the lens of their own faith, tradition, and scriptures. Oh, how foolish you are, 
and how slow of heart to believe. The story is not about them and their disappointment, he says. It's about life, the universe, and everything in it. They respond to Jesus with hospitality, engaging him in conversation and expressing concern for him when he appears to be travelling beyond their stopping point. The day is over, they insist. It's getting dark. Come, eat with us and rest and be safe. At supper, when Jesus takes, blesses, breaks and gives them the bread, they recognise him and then almost immediately lose him again as he vanishes. But the experience on the road and at table has transformed them and they immediately return to Jerusalem to find the disciples and the rest of their group. What makes the story remarkable is how unremarkable it mostly is. If Jesus were to appear, we might expect that it would be to the remaining 11 disciples, to the faithful women who followed him, and even to Paul, all very practical appearances in terms of establishing the church and its mission. But Cleopas and his companion were their nobodies who have no idea what God might be doing. And so they could be any one of us. Their road to Emmaus is an ordinary road, the road each of us is on every day. This is what sets this story apart from other accounts of Jesus' Easter appearances. Yes, the story resonates with a sense of the church and its mission and of the tremendous power of the word and the sacraments to connect us with the presence of God. But it's images of God and a church that walk alongside human confusion, human pain and a human loss of faith and hope. Emmaus invites us to expect God to find us. Emmaus challenges us to see that it isn't our unshakable faith and deep spirituality that connect us with the risen Christ, but our smallest gestures of hospitality and of friendship. Is it only on Sunday that we meet Jesus? We know that our answer to this question should be no, and that we can meet him, like the saints of God in that children's hymn, in school or in lanes or at sea, in church or in trains or in shops or at sea. We can hear his voice in the cries of the children living in poverty. We can hear his voice anew in the familiar words of scripture. We can meet Jesus on a Sunday and when we read the scriptures, but as these two disciples showed, we can also fail to see him, even when we read of him. But like these two disciples, we can meet him in the ordinary the everyday, the mundane through which God speaks to us, the mundane which Jesus makes special. But just as we can fail to see him on a Sunday, the ordinary can remain ordinary to us if we don't see and hear with the eyes and ears of faith. People must believe what they can, writes George MacDonald, and those who believe more must not be hard on those who believe less. Faith is a gift. We don't produce it ourselves, we receive it. And we certainly can't brag about having more of it than other people. I find comfort in what George MacDonald says. I find even more comfort in the fact that Jesus passed through the Garden of Gethsemane on his way to the cross and that the disciples were surprised and terrified when they first met the risen Christ. This sense of surprise, shock even, is brilliantly portrayed by Caravaggio in his supper at Emmaus that he painted more than 400 years ago. This is the picture on the front cover of our service sheet today. Now, I'm by no means an expert on art, 
But Caravaggio, who was something of a rogue, painted the most extraordinarily vivid scenes from the life of Jesus. There's something missing from this particular picture that caused a stir in its day. This is that Jesus is portrayed without his traditional beard. Someone has also pointed out that there's something else missing. It is that, as a painting, there is no sound. While there is a sense of motion in the gesture of the figure on the right, the action has been frozen and there's no sound. What was Jesus saying when the disciples recognised him? What did the landlord say? We're forced to hear what the picture is saying by looking more closely at it. Diego Velasquez was a Spanish artist who lived slightly later than Caravaggio and lived a far more respectable life than the Italian. He painted a rather unusual Emmaus picture called Kitchen Maid with the Supper, and this one is inside our service sheet. Usually Jesus is painted in the middle of a scene, but here Jesus is not just not in the middle, he's actually far into the background. The kitchen maid, a young woman with dark skin, is in the centre foreground, and the table with Jesus and his companions is in another room that we can see through a sort of window. The focus is on the young woman, a servant, standing at the kitchen table. She is half holding a jug, but her attention seems to be taken up with what's going on in the next room. She is listening intently, aware that something very much out of the ordinary is happening. In this painting, Velasquez, perhaps unwittingly, offered a fresh insight to the Emmaus story. The focus on the servant girl turns her into the main character. In her time and place, the woman would have been invisible because of class, gender and race. But this painting has in effect invited her to the table. And through her, we, fellow outsiders, as those who have not seen, are being invited as well. No longer outside observers, she and we are welcome guests. Denise Levitov wrote a poem based on this painting. The poem's called The Servant Girl at Emmaus, a painting by Diego Velasquez. She listens, listens, holding her breath. Surely that voice is his, the one who had looked at her once across the crowd as no one had ever looked had seen her, had spoken as if to her. Surely those hands were his, taking the platter of bread from hers just now, hands he'd laid on the dying and made them well. Surely that face. The man they'd crucified for sedition and blasphemy, the man whose body disappeared from its tomb, the man it was rumoured now some women had seen this morning alive. Those who'd brought this stranger home to their table don't recognise yet with whom they sit. But she in the kitchen, absently touching the wine jug she's to take in, a young black servant intently listening, swings around and sees the light around him and is sure. As this young black woman listens to Jesus, she realises that she's encountered him before. At first it's his voice, then his gaze, his healing hands that now took the bread from her, and finally his face. The resurrection story begins with those who were outsiders being the first to know that Jesus was alive. It was Mary Magdalene who was the first to meet the risen Lord Jesus, but the men didn't believe her. 
The men, if Cleopas and his companion were both men, didn't recognize Jesus. And this painting points to those who are outsiders seeing Jesus and recognizing him. There's a line in the play, the line in winter, in which Eleanor of Aquitaine, wife of Henry II, says, in a world where carpenters get resurrected, anything is possible. And that's the message that meets us at Easter. Anything is possible. The first disciples didn't fail to grasp this fact. If Jesus is raised from the dead, we have to rethink everything we ever thought we knew about what's possible. At least the first disciples did finally grasp this fact after Jesus met them in flesh and blood and through the power of his presence among them that opened their minds to understand the scripture. It was only in his presence that their minds were prepared to be opened. Then they understood everything written about the Christ in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then and only then did the tumblers fall into place. The Messiah had to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. Then and only then did they realize the significance of the fact that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem and that they were the witnesses of all these things, witnesses sent by Christ because they had been in his presence. The gospel story is full of people failing to believe and being startled and shocked by Jesus. Jesus, the stranger who met these two disciples on the road home. God meets us where we are, and God gives us the faith we need to deal with life. One of the most surprising aspects of faith is that it never does become my possession. If we pay attention to Luke in his story of Jesus and in his Acts of the Apostles, this shouldn't surprise us. The disciples who meet Jesus after his resurrection are surprised and amazed. The disciples who then go forth into the world as his witnesses still struggle from time to time with trusting God, as God continues to open to them new resurrected realities. For example, the inclusion of Gentiles in the faith of Jesus Christ. One final thought. Frederick Buchner once observed that faith is on again, off again, rather than once for all. Faith is not being sure where you're going, but going anyway. I sing a song of the saints of God, patient and brave and true, who toiled and fought and lived and died for the Lord they loved and knew. And one was a doctor and one was a queen, and one was a shepherdess on the green. They were all of them saints of God, and I mean God helping to be one too. They loved their Lord so dear, so dear, and God's love made them strong. And they followed the right for Jesus' sake The whole of their good lives long And one was a soldier and one was a priest And one was slain by a fierce wild beast And there's not any reason, no not the least Why I shouldn't be one too
They live not only in ages past, there are hundreds of thousands still. The world is bright with the joyous saints who love to do Jesus' will. You can meet them in school or in lanes or at sea, in church or in trains or in shops or at tea, for the saints of God are just folk like me, and I mean to be one too. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are alive. We praise you for the glory of your resurrection, which means that we will never be separated from you. We pause for a moment to remember times when we have known your presence in our lives this week. Help us to look for signs of you in everything we do, wherever we go and whoever we meet this week. Keep us focused on you, our risen, triumphant Lord. Lord Jesus, even when we don't have your physical presence with us, help us to know what's real. Lord Jesus, we thank you that your scars demonstrate to us that you are a wounded God who therefore understands all our sorrows and suffering. We know that you have gone before us into the darkest places, we lift to you now all the places in our world that are suffering right now. We pray for Ukraine, still in the grip of war. We pray for Afghanistan and Yemen, whose conflict and pain has gone from our news screens. We remember the victims of flooding in South Africa. In the silence, we bring to you any other places of pain in our world that come to our minds. Lord Jesus, your wounds remind us that you are there and that you care. Help us to care for them too. Lord, we know that when you stretched your arms out on the cross, it was to show love for the whole world. Everyone matters to you. Everyone is within the realm of your love. Everyone is loved equally by you. We particularly pray for refugees and all those fleeing persecution. We ask that our government will show compassion to all those who are seeking safety and stability in our country. We pray for people that the world seems to have forgotten, the lost and alone, the housebound, people in hospital for many weeks. We pray for children who are living on our streets, those in the care system and those who feel unloved. Lord, your outstretched arms tell us that you love the whole world. Help us to love everyone too. Lord, you came alongside two ordinary fearful people and brought the beauty of your peace. We pray for all those we know who need your peace at the moment. Those who are sick, those who are anxious and troubled, those who are sad or grieving, those who are close to death, those facing exams soon, those who are afraid. Lord Jesus, breathe your peace deep into their hearts and fill them with the knowledge of your presence. 
Lord, you didn't want your disciples to keep the good news of your rising to themselves. You said to them, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Help us not to be afraid to tell our family and friends about you. Show us who to talk to and how to show your love to those around us, at work, in our streets and in our homes. We pray for all those we know who are struggling to believe that you are real and that you really rose again from the dead. Help us to share with them what we know about you and help us to show them your reality by living and loving like you did. Lord Jesus, you give us your peace and love. Send us out to take your love and peace to others around us. Lord Jesus, as we start a new week, take us out of our upper rooms and into the world to live and breathe your presence. Go before us into every situation we face and help us to know that you are really there. Thank you, Lord, for rising again for us and filling our hearts with joy. Amen.
Our last song is Roger Miller's King of the Road. It tells the story of a hobo, a travelling man, working to earn his keep but always on the move. Someone who sounds a little like Jesus. But first, a final prayer. God, beyond our understanding, yet always with us, we offer to you our minds to think of your words and your promises, our hearts to show your love for the world, our imagination to dream big for your kingdom, our hands to work for a better world, and all of our lives to love and serve you always. Amen. Trailers for sale or rent Rooms to let 50 cents No phone, no pool, no pets Ain't got no cigarettes Ah, but two hours of pushing broom buys an eight, twelve, four-bedroom I'm a man of means By no means King of the road Boxcar, midnight train, destination banger, main. Whoa, worn out suit and shoes. I don't pay no union dues. I smoke old stogies. I have found short, but not too big around. I'm a man of means, by no means, king of the road. I know every engineer on every train All their children, all of their names In every handout in every town Every locked, it ain't locked when no one's around I sing traders for sale or rent Rooms let 50 cents No phone, no pool, no pets I ain't got no cigarettes I've two hours of pushing room buys an eight by twelve four-bit room I'm a man of means by no means king of the road trailers for sale or rent rooms let fifty cents no phone no pool no Got no cigarettes, uh, but...